Great to see you this morning. If it's your first time, like Brock said, a special welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. Um, and hopefully you feel like this is a home that you can connect to. Um, you've met someone and uh, feel at ease. Uh, I'm going to be preaching from John chapter 4 this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you've got your devices, you can flick them open. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4. We're looking at sort of the second half, the middle part of the story of the woman at the well uh, in John chapter 4. Uh, last week we talked about, who remembers what we talked about last week? We talked about the water, the water of life, uh, the idea that everyone thirsts, uh, but not everyone is quenched. Uh, we looked at the source um, or the well that Jesus describes, the living water, uh, and that it's purifying, it's reliable. Uh, and we looked at the life, the eternal life that is promised uh, is more than just living forever, but it's talking about this purpose and love that Jesus gives. And if you missed that, uh, you can find the service from last week on YouTube on our channel and, um, and catch up there. Uh, and slowly we are, if you are a podcaster, uh, we apologise that we've been a little bit behind in our podcast, but um, we're catching up. Uh, and so the, the podcast will be up to date. Brock has started doing that. Where's Brock gone? He's a tech wizard. Uh, so you can catch up on the podcast as well. Maybe not this week, but in a few weeks' time. All right, John chapter 4. Let's start at verse uh, 15, uh, and we'll read through to verse 30. It says this, Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, this is Jesus, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you uh, now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said, told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's able to teach us and encourage us and challenge us. And God, we pray that it would do all those things. God, we thank you that it is true, it's reliable, it's life-giving to us. And so, God, we pray your spirit might speak to our hearts this morning. You might unify us around your ideas and your truths uh, and enable us to walk in them and step out in faith and obey. Uh, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have seen the show on TV, or I'm not sure where it is these days, Antiques Roadshow? Yeah, a few of us. You know, the one, um, it's basically a show where, I think it's set in England. It seems very English. Um, just the whole thing of it. 
basically they have this field expo and people walk around and there's obviously cameras there and um, they bring their old items um, to the antiques roadshow uh, to be valued, you know, and try to work out whether this um, beautiful, ugly plate thing that I've got... <laughs> I mean, they're beautiful, aren't they, those old china plates? If you like that sort of stuff. Anyway, they bring them along and they go, now, is this something that's... And then at home, you're watching and you're thinking, all right, uh, is this going to be worth heaps? It's either going to be worth heaps or nothing. Like, it's a... It's a 50-cent job or it's a 500,000 sort of job. And so you guess, and then sure enough, the person with their British accent says, well, this is made in the Himalayan mountains from 16,000 years ago and crafted this way and made this way. And, um, it's worth $10. There you go. <laughs> and you were right or you're wrong, and you sort of guessed the value of something. And um, I mean, it's a fun show. Um, but it's interesting to me that, you know, sometimes people can have something in their possession and they just think, oh, well, I'll get it valued. Uh, and they've had it in their possession maybe for, I don't know, a decade, two decades, maybe longer, maybe it's been their family for so long and they've just kept it sort of in the cupboard at the back. They've forgotten about it and then someone mentioned something and they thought, oh, I remember, I've got a, an old, um, it's just this shiny gold thing and it's just, a, I don't know, a massive piece of a nugget or something and maybe it's worth something, I should get it valued. And they get it valued, and then they're surprised. Oh, my gosh, this is worth so much. Um, and as they have that realisation of what they're holding, it sort of changes everything. It changes their facial expressions, and you could imagine what it would do if you uh, were lucky enough to have something in your possession that you didn't realise was valuable, and then were told, this is actually worth heaps. Uh, and I want to talk about this idea that everything changes as you understand the value of the object before you. When you discover the worth of an object, it changes your relationship to it. You could have a piece of jewellery, uh, maybe given to you, maybe handed down to you, um, and you've just kept it um, in your top drawer next to your bed for, um, for as long as you've had it. Uh, and then one day, um, a friend comes along and you've got a friend who's a jeweller, lucky, lucky friend, um, and you're shocked as your, your friend says, do you know this is like what you're holding here. It's like a, this is a jewel from the, um, the royal family from 200 years ago. Oh my gosh, like, how did you not know this? And all of a sudden they tell you about how rare it is and where it's from and um, how valuable it is. It's like, this is over a million dollars worth of uh, whatever you got here. What do you do with that piece of jewelry? Do you just go, ha, beauty, chuck it back in the drawer? Maybe some of you would. I reckon um, maybe it would change your relationship to that piece of jewellery. Maybe suddenly you would go, I'm going to just be very careful with this. I'm going to be very careful with where I put it. I'm going to be very careful not to let my kids grab it. It's not a plaything. Maybe I'll go uh, invest in a nice big safe for it and get it bolted. Maybe I'll go get it insured. I'm going to start investing my time and my money. I'm going to, it changes my attitude. It changes everything, like my focus of my life. Like this could change, maybe I don't have to go to work tomorrow. Like I could, this changes everything. This changes everything. You start investing time and money. You get it cleaned. You get it maybe restored. Maybe there's a, um, a British jeweller who's just expert in this and you have to fly it across yourself and 
um, get it, and you don't care, you know, how much it costs because in the scheme of how much it's worth, you're willing to do that. Your life changes as you think about it and what it means for your life. And your friend, your jeweler friend, has led you in worship. He's led you in worship. He's led you to change your attitude, your actions, and your life to accommodate this newfound value in the object before you. Everything changes as you understand the value of the object before you. You have this awe for this. Maybe you just looked at it before and thought, oh, that's just, it's ugly. I don't like it. I'm never going to wear it. But suddenly, as you realise the value of it, it's like, this is beautiful. This is incredible. Like, look at the detail in it. Because the jeweler's been pointing out all the, I don't know, whatever is in the fancy gems that are worth so much that just look like rocks that, I mean, Judah's got a whole lot of rocks in his drawer, and I reckon some of them look pretty cool. Um, What's the difference? But apparently, you start seeing the difference, and it all leads to joy, it leads to a change behaviour, which leads to a massive investment in your life. And this is what worship is. You know, the old English word worship um, used to be longer. You know how we uh, we've shortened words as we've gone on in generations, everything's shorter. Um, like, even like we don't say going to, we say I'm gonna. It's like, anyway, worship used to be worthship. Uh, and it's this idea of understanding the worth of something and laying your life down for it, uh, paying homage to it. What you know uh, of the worth of something changes your relationship to it. Everything changes as you understand the value of the object before you. Changes everything. Um, or suppose you had a car and it's broken down, the mechanic says to you, uh, you're going to need to spend $10,000 to get this fixed. $10,000. It needs a new engine, needs a new roof, needs a new boot. It needs everything. Like Everything needs replacing. And you're thinking to yourself, this car's only worth $2,000. Like, what do you do? Do you invest the $10,000? No. It's, I'm not going to do it. I'll, I'll scrap it. I'll sell it for $3,000. Um, but to suppose a real estate agent tells you, or oh, you've inherited this property, um, and if you spent $10,000 on it, you would increase the value of the property by 100000 What would you do? Well, suddenly your $10,000 looks like, well, I'm going to do all I can to get $10,000 to invest into this property to increase its value. For the car, no, but for the property, yes. The value of that $10,000 changes, or the what you, your attitude towards it changes as you realise the value of what you're investing into. Or suppose a friend comes to you and has a, a holiday they've paid for um, and they can't go anymore because, um, I don't know, their dog got sick uh, and so they can't go and they've paid for it all, it's all expenses paid, everything, and they say, oh, I can't cancel it, do you want to have this holiday? 100 bucks, you can have the whole thing. You think, oh gosh, 100 bucks, yeah, I'll take it. Um, that's, that's amazing, thank you. Um, and then suppose another friend comes to you and says I've got this loaf of bread it's going out of date today I'll sell it to you $100 oh nah, I'll keep the $100 to myself $100 is not $100 and depending on the value of what you're trading it for what you're giving it for $100 is not $100 it changes depending on the value of the item it's the same with your time it's the same with your energy it's the same with your passion the value the perceived value to your life will de- depend on how much you're willing to invest your time, your passion, your energy, your money. And as you understand the value of what Jesus is offering, he wants to lead you in worship. 
He wants to lead you in developing an all-in approach to him. And it's unlike the Antiques Roadshow where you have to guess the value. Oh, is Jesus worth it? He lays it out for you. He, he tells you the importance. Uh, he gives you an understanding of what he offers. You know, this passage of the woman at the well is all about what worship really is. Sometimes we can read it and go, oh, it's about water, it's about life, it's about all the things. But worship in this little section we just read is mentioned 10 times. Worship is what we go to time and again. Worship is what this woman was doing while she was going to the well every day to get water. And what Jesus was uh, relating that to was her lifestyle of going to men. You know, you're worshipping these relationships in your life. You keep going back and back and back, and they never quite satisfy like you want. I have something that will quench the thirst of your life. If you would worship me, if you would give your investment, if you would give your time, if you would give your passion, if you would give everything into me, you'll be satisfied and you won't have to keep doing it again and again. Jesus comes along and says, the water I give, the life I give is worth so much more than anything you've had that's temporary and that doesn't last. The woman has been worshipping with her life. She was sacrificing she was sacrificing relationships. She was going out in the middle of the day, not speaking to people at the most inconvenient time. She was wasting her life. It was consuming so much of what she was doing and how she was living. You know, the water, the things of this world that we go to, they are finite. They don't last forever. They're not eternal. They are short-lived. Even relationships, which might seem lifelong, are short-lived in comparison to the eternity that Jesus offers. But the problem is we aren't always aware of the value of Jesus that stands before us. We're a little bit like children sometimes. I've got three children and they've, got, they've all got little special objects that are valuable to them, whether it's a teddy, whether it's some gems in a drawer or some rocks found in a park. These items to, the, to my kids are so valuable. And if you went to one of my kids, I'll trade you that special item for for this old house that I've got down the road. My kids would go, no thanks. In their minds, the the item they have is so valuable that they can't comprehend the the idea that something could be more valuable, even though as an adult we can think, well, this would be a great decision for your life. Like This would set you up uh, in so many ways. My kids would hold on to that toy even tighter. How dare you try to take this away from me? You're trying to trick me? You're trying to rob me? How ridiculous. Don't you know how this house or whatever it is of uh, so much more value could help your life in the future? It's way more value than a teddy. And sometimes we are like children. We hold dear to things that are of no value in comparison to Jesus. We wouldn't dare let them go. We hold on to relationships, we hold on to experiences, we hold on to money, we hold on to whatever it is. And in comparison to Jesus, they are of zero value. And Jesus is saying, it's time to grow up. It's time to not invest your whole life into this thing that is temporary, that is finite, that is limited in its resource. But come to me. But we can only think of the comfort that we have in the moment of holding that teddy 
rather than something abstract, something uh, like an eternal God, a Jesus that we can't physically see. We don't have the right sense of proportion of the value. Everything changes as you understand the value of the object before you. We are called to worship Jesus by coming to him for our life, by coming to him for everything we need. Earlier in the year, back in February, we we talked about this passage for a few weeks. I don't know if you remember that. Um, If you don't, that's fine. I forget some of the messages I preach too, so I'm uh, um, I'm not upset if you forget them too. But we started the year talking about this idea of spirit and truth because this uh, idea is, hot, is found in this, in this passage in verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That the way in which we worship, the way in which we come to God is to be in spirit and in truth. And we looked at this idea because it's a challenge for all of us because I think for a lot of us we are wired one way more than the other. We are more inclined to, um, you know, uh, to, to look at truth, to be a bit more analytical, to be a bit more logical. And um, a lot of uh, commentators and theologians look at this story in John chapter 4 and they compare it to John chapter 3. Uh, and this, the differences or the parallels of you've got Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and Jesus and Nicodemus comes at night, the woman comes in the middle of the day and Nicodemus is a teacher of the law and the woman at the well is a Samaritan woman uh, and there's all these sort of contrasts and parallels and how I see how Nicodemus comes as someone who's like analytical and logical and after the truth and what's the right answer and tell me how it's really supposed to be and the woman is coming and experiencing something of Jesus and we need both. We need the spirit and the truth. Because sometimes we come and we are, I don't know if we're right or left brain, I can't remember which is, the, which, is which side. Um, those sorts of ideas, we're, we're more wired to go with the, the logical, analytical side of things. And some of us are more creative and, um, and feeling-based. Um, we looked at some of these ideas that some of us are more wordy, some of us are whimsical, some of us are spiritual, some of us are scriptural. Some of us are more worshipping, some of us more word-focused, some of us more creative, some of us more logical, emotional or analytical, experiential or understanding. Uh, we're after the atmosphere of something or we're after something more thought-provoking, something more relational, something more task-focused. And one's not better than the other. Don't look at that list and say, wow, it's better to be on that side than that side. That's not the point. The point is that we're all wired differently, but God wants both. He wants both of those things, the spirit and the truth, to come together for him to worship, for him to be worshipped. And even in our denomination, sometimes we are just attracted to the same type of Christian that we are. I just want to be around all the, you know, truth-based, Bible-based people and all these spiritual, you know, people that are praying and believing for miracles, like, oh, I don't know about that sort of stuff. I'm just... Just teach me the truth. And then other people are like, well, we need to pray more. We need to be believing in the Spirit more and seeing miracles happen. And, oh, there's too much time focused on Scripture. But can you see that we need both? God has maybe wired you one way to help others grow in that area. And maybe you need to learn from others in the area that you don't focus in as much. Spirit and truth. It's like a spectrum. And for some of us, we'll be on one side, some of us will be on the other. Some of us, you might think, oh, I'm... I don't know if I'm on one side or the other, and that's 
That's great. Fantastic. Um, so often we can just get caught up focusing on the one thing that we are focused on at the expense of the other and thinking others should be more like us. But we need both things. We looked at this idea of perspective, that two tracks of a train track, spirit and truth, they don't meet until you lift your eyes, that we need to lift our eyes together and look at where they're taking us. They're taking us to worship the creator. We need both together, side by side, to take us down the road of faith and worship, not to neglect one for the sake of the other, but to have this living water, this real change, real impact, worship. What is most valuable in our life, what we sacrifice for, what we talk about, what we live for, what we get our worth from? What these things that we know and what these things we experience? It can't be just one or the other. You can see the value in something is begins as we understand, as we know. And then when we know something, it changes our experience of that. We need the truth of it, and then we need the spirit at work in us. Like I said, John 4 is really about worship, what we hold uh, most valuable in our life, and therefore what we get our worth, or what we get our water from, where we, get our, where we draw our life from, our satisfaction from, our sense of meaning and purpose from. Jesus offers living water, water that doesn't run out or doesn't run dry, that quenches the thirst, that fulfills the deepest longings of our humanity. And the conversation sort of takes a turn um, at the start where they're going to the water and then in verse 16, Jesus says, go call your husband and come back here. And she says, oh, that's a bit awkward. I don't have a husband. You can just imagine her mumbling that under her breath. Um, and he's like, yep, you've correctly said that, that you don't have a husband. You've had five. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Here we begin to understand what truth is. That Jesus is pointing to truth. Truth is not just about knowing what's right, but it's about authenticity. Jesus is saying, I want you to be authentic with me. I want you to be real with me. Truth is not just about knowing the right answer, but it's coming as you are. Coming exactly as you are. I know who you are already. So don't pretend to be something. Don't put on a mask. Come as you are. Be authentic. I love you as you are. Yes, there's things you need to change. Yes, there's transformation that needs to happen and that and we'll see that but come as you are don't hide any part of your life from me come as you are truth is um, authentic um, in in our approach and understanding the truth of what god wants as well the, the woman was caught but she wasn't caught in a in a moment of shame from jesus but rather a moment of grace you see jesus always comes with truth, but he always comes with grace. When we began the series in John, we looked at John chapter 1, and how did, is Jesus described in John chapter 1? Let me remind you, in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus confronts the woman with truth, but at the same time giving her grace for her current reality. And then we begin the spirit to begin to work. Sir, the woman replied, I can see you're a prophet. It's almost like she's trying to change the subject here. 
Right. Okay, this is a bit awkward, but I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. You say, we should worship in Jerusalem. They go on talking about worship. And so from a place of authenticity, the, the movement of the Spirit is able to help this woman to begin to experience who this man really is, to experience who Jesus really is. And Jesus says, this is the kind of worship that the Father seeks. The Father is looking for not one following a formula or going to a certain location, but one who comes in truth, one who comes in authenticity, and one who comes in spirit, one who comes chasing after the knowledge, the truth of God, as well as encountering the living water, the spirit of God. Remember when Jesus offered living water, it wasn't magic water, it wasn't just never-ending water, but it was it was this living water, alive, to be experienced, to be life-giving. And then what happens? And we'll look at this more next week, but there was this transformational aspect of this experience in verse 28. It says, Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. This is a woman who has just been coming out in the middle of the day, hiding from everyone because she's ashamed of what she's been doing. And now she's going back into town. Come, this man told me everything I ever did. And you can imagine she's probably telling everyone what she really did, who she really was. Come. They're like, what is going on here? Could this be the Messiah, she says? So they left town and made their way to him. Some of the objections some of us more logical, analytical, truth-seeking people have to the experience of the Spirit is that we might say, it's just an experience and then it's just, it's all hype and then it, when it dies down, nothing changes. And that can be true. That can be true. But what I love about this story is that it was more than an experience. It was transformational. And how was it Transformational. I want you to notice this, that the catalyst for transformation was best harnessed in the moment of experience. Have you ever had moments where you've had this amazing experience and thought, oh, I need to do this more. I need to change this. I need to make this. And New Year's resolutions are great for this because you have this moment of like, oh, it's a new year. Like, what could I change? I could change my whole life. And some people try and they make 100 New Year's resolutions and then by January 2nd they're like, oh. <laughs> the catalyst for transformation is best harnessed in the moment of experience. The idea of, yes, I must do that, I must tell that person, doesn't last into tomorrow. You can think, um, you can hear a great message on a Sunday and think, oh, yeah, tomorrow, I'm going to start doing that. And then, have you ever had this experience? Tomorrow, I'll, 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 I'm going to be, uh, I'll be more patient tomorrow. Or I'll be more encouraging tomorrow. Like, when I wake up, I'm just going to, I'm going to do that. And then tomorrow comes, and what happens? You've completely forgotten, probably, that you even made that promise to yourself. Or you think, oh, maybe the next day, <laughs> maybe next week. When we have the, the spirit at work, I believe these are the best times to make a, a transformational change in your life. This is what the woman does. She has this experience of Jesus and immediately, 
What does she do? It says she left her water jars. That was significant. She was like, I'm leaving this behind. There is something to drop here and there is someone to tell. I, needed, I can't wait until tomorrow. Like, I can't take the water jars back to town and then like, it was that moment was the moment for transformation. That moment of the spirit at work. Now I need to make the decision. Not tomorrow, but what can I do now? Don't delay and miss the catalytic moment that can bring transformation to your life and the lives of those around you. Imagine if this woman didn't take that moment to make that decision. She just thought, oh, that's a nice idea. I mean, we probably wouldn't be reading about it. And maybe Jesus did have interactions like that where people thought, oh, that's a nice idea. And they just carried on their way. But the woman, the, 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 the town is transformed. The people around her are transformed, not only her life, but so many others. The woman in the moment left her water and told the people, there is something to leave behind. And it's not about leaving it tomorrow or next week. And I believe the Spirit is already at work in your life and you probably know things that you need to leave behind. And you've thought about it maybe for a long time. But one day, I want to encourage you was when the Spirit is at work and when you're having that experience of the Spirit telling you those things, that is the moment to make the change. That is the moment to tell someone, I've got to change this. I've got to stop this. I've got to leave this behind. That's the moment to get rid of that item or, or whatever it is that you need to do. That's the moment to make the transformational step and tell someone. You notice she didn't just leave the water jars and then just carry on her way. There was leaving and the telling. Have you ever done that? Like I've done that probably too many times from the pulpit before. Said I remember when I was preaching a lot in my 20s, I kept saying I was going to get a motorbike when I was 30. And then I just hoped that everyone would forget, and no one did. And I turned... Believe it or not, I am 30. Um, I'm turning 30-something this week. And I didn't get my motorbike license, and people still remind me, and I think, oh. But that's the power of telling someone, right? You said this. There's accountability to it. There's change and transformation that can happen to it. And so maybe this morning, but maybe not just this morning, maybe in future Sunday services or, or connect group times or prayer times in the morning or whatever it is, in those moments where you feel a spirit at work and you think, oh, yeah, I should, I should encourage that person. I really need to tell this person something. And you think, maybe tomorrow I will. I've just, I'm just a bit busy today. I've just got to get these water jars back into town. Don't delay those moments of obedience because they are transformational, not just for you, but for the lives of those around you. So the team's going to come up and we're going to stand together as we finish. You can put your things down and stretch your legs. And what is it this morning that you feel that, is there something to leave behind? And is there someone to tell? Maybe during this last song, you need to make a transformational decision, something that's going to change. It might not be as, um, as amazing as what this woman is going into town and telling everyone what you've, what you've ever did. Maybe it is. And maybe you can't see what the transformation will bring. 
But maybe during this last song, you need to text someone something. I need to make this change. You need to tell someone what it is that you've experienced. My encouragement is don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till this afternoon. Do it now. Do it now. Take the moment the Spirit is at work in your life and decide now is the time. I'm going to obey when the Spirit is asking me to. I'm not going to delay. So God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's able to teach us and change us. But God, I thank you that you allow us to cooperate with your Spirit. You give us the grace to come to you as we are and you put the offer out there. And you're gentle with us. You're loving with us. And God, I pray this morning the people that have heard your Spirit speak to their hearts, maybe for the first time, but maybe it's just been a message on repeat. God, I pray that you would give them the boldness and faith to, to take that step of obedience this morning. God, that they would not delay. And God, that as they take that step of obedience, as they trust you, God, that they would see the transformation happen, not just in their own lives, but in the lives of those around them. God, as they let go of the things that they've been holding on that don't really have the value of you, They would lead others in the true worship of Jesus. So God, we take this moment just to pause and surrender afresh and ask you to have your way. Change us, God. Help us to see the value of Jesus and help us to put everything, all that we have at his feet. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name.